This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to the Bills Breakdown, Nate Schreiber, and as always with my co-host, Alex Pollinger. All right, the Buffalo Bills are 2-0, and and we saw a lot different Buffalo Bills team from what we are used to as Bills fans, and that is the quarterback putting his team on his back and winning a game when it kind of felt like all hope was lost there in the fourth quarter when Miami went up, and then Josh Allen just took over the game even more so than he already had and single-handedly willed the Bills to victory when the defense could not really stop anything. Yeah, I mean, this is this is what you expect out of a franchise quarterback. Like when we talked in the preview about our our thoughts about what the Bills might do against the Dolphins, we thought the Bills were probably going to run the ball a little bit more than they did against the Jets, just given that the Dolphins are weak against the run and have a, at least a little bit of talent in the secondary. Whether or not that talent always performs is a different story, but they have talent in the secondary, and Josh Allen threw 35 times for 417 yards, and the Bills didn't really even care about running the football. And that's encouraging. Like that's While we wanted or while we thought they were going to run the ball more, it's not like we wanted them to run the ball more because in the NFL, in the modern-day NFL, you win by throwing the football. And Josh Allen has shown through two weeks that he has much improved at throwing the football. And, yes, there's the caveat of they played two bad teams, but it's the NFL. It's like Lamar Jackson played two terrible teams to start last year and dominated them. And I don't think there were quite as many people out there saying, oh, it's two bad teams. Wait till he plays some good teams to see if he's good, as there are about Josh Allen right now. And, I mean, part of that's people don't want to admit they were wrong. But I think we, as a podcast, can admit we were probably wrong about Josh Allen coming out uh, of the draft. Yeah. I'll own it. We were very wrong. It, basically, you can take Nate and I's rankings of those quarterbacks pre-draft and flip them, and that's basically how they shook out. <laughs> so, yeah, it, like you said, Nate, people just want to you know search for that confirmation bias, but at this point, it, it doesn't matter who they're playing. That was the best statistical performance by a Bills quarterback in the history of the franchise. They've played a lot of bad teams over the course of 50 years. Yeah, I mean, you never you have they had a quarterback do that. Right. Like you don't discount any you can't discount anyone in the NFL for playing good against bad teams. Like you're supposed to play well against bad teams. If if you're playing a bad team, you expect your good players to do really well. But at the same time, it's the NFL. These are thirty two professional football teams in this league. They're all trying to win. They all have pro talent on their rosters. Yes, is he gonna face a tougher challenge against the Rams this week? Absolutely, he will. And I don't think we can expect him to go 24 for 35, 417, and four touchdowns against the Rams. And if he does, it's like, okay, we're shouting MVP from the rooftops now. But this is what you expect a really good quarterback to do to bad defenses, and he did that. Yeah, and some people are saying pump the brakes on calling him a franchise quarterback. We're in year three after two weeks, and we've never seen this Josh Allen before. They played the Jets and the Dolphins last year. And the Dolphins weren't as good last year. 
and he just went out there and destroyed both of them. So at this point, I think I'm willing to say it, Nate. I think they've found their franchise quarterback, and by that I mean he's getting a second contract. Unless they go like 2-14 and or have some epic meltdown the rest of the season. Josh Allen's the guy going forward. I just I don't see how he could not get a second contract. Yeah, and, and that's not to say he's not going to have a bad game this year or two bad games this year where he makes some dumb decisions, turns the ball over a few times, because that's always going to be part of Josh Allen. I think, honestly, uh, uh, it's not the perfect comparison, but I think Josh Allen, com- comparing him to Ryan Fitzpatrick, except for that Josh Allen is a way more talented player, but in their styles of play, I think it's a generally fair comparison. That's kind of what you're going to get. You're going to get a lot of great stuff, and Josh is going to do it a lot better than Ryan Fitzpatrick does it. But you're going to get a lot of great stuff, some ridiculously good games. You're also going to get one or two really bad ones every year. That's just that's the way Josh Allen plays football. And you have to be okay with that to like him. And I think that's part of why some people and analysts out there still are refusing to admit that he might be good because they know and they expect him to have a bad game once in a while. But who doesn't have bad games? It's just when Josh Allen has bad games or makes bad decisions, they might be like way worse than another quarterback's bad decisions. But the stuff he does well, there's only a couple quarterbacks in the league league that can do the things he does well. And after last season, everyone wanted to talk about how his deep accuracy is terrible. He was lights out in that game. He, he has been the first two games of the season. It, I don't You have to see it over a larger sample size, but through two games, you can't ask him to be any better on deep balls. And like you said, Nate, you're going to have a Josh Allen game here and there where he throws three interceptions, but he hasn't thrown one yet this year, and he barely threw any after the first four or five games last year. And the difference now is he's taking calculated risks, which he wasn't doing so much of last season. They had him playing a lot more conservatively to limit the turnovers. But now that's like a mark of a great quarterback is a guy that can take calculated risks and get those big plays out of it and not commit many turnovers. And that's not to say Josh Allen's a great quarterback, but from what we've seen through two weeks, we might be inching towards that if he can do this consistently. Now, I'm not saying he's going to throw 417 yards every game. He might not do that again in his career, and that's fine. But he's looking like he could be a pretty damn good quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I'm at the point where I'm... I, there was a poll that uh, WGR had today about how many quarterbacks in this league right now would you take over Josh Allen? And, like, I thought about it for a while, which in the past I really wouldn't have had to think about it. I probably would have said, you know, I think the, the most was 10-plus and I think I probably would have been, you know, close to that. But today I had to I had to think about it, and I don't think I can come up with more than six guys right now that I would rather have than Josh Allen. And I think there's only really three guys that are 100% I would rather have than Josh Allen right this minute. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And there are some ridiculous plays in this game, and the one – we saw on Twitter that it was shown on replay when they were down 20 to 17 and they came right out with a shot to Stefan Diggs down the field on that throw, Josh Allen lifted his front foot off of the ground in the middle of his throwing motion and still threw the ball 40 yards down the field, right into Stefan Diggs arms over the top of the defender. And he did that because his offensive lineman and the defensive lineman were about to crash into his plant leg and end his season with a horrible leg injury. 
he had the presence of mind to pick up his foot in the middle of the throwing motion and still drop that on a dime right where it needed to be. That's the most ridiculous throw I've seen Josh Allen make in his career so yeah, far. Something like that you don't notice at full speed because I didn't notice that at full speed that he saved himself from getting like severely injured in that moment because, as we all know, anytime your leg is planted and you get hit at the knee level, it's usually bad. And he got his foot off the ground. Yes, he still got hit, but you're off the ground. There's nothing. You're not going to get hurt from that. And to be able to, to realize that, in the moment now it could just have been instinct because josh allen's instincts and for like his athletic instincts are second to none in this league the things he just naturally does when it beyond just throwing the football when he especially when he's running and moving around like he just feels like feels things quicker than most quarterbacks in this league like you watch him in the pocket and like avoiding pressure he might be the best quarterback in the nfl at avoiding sacks just from feeling things happening he just he makes defensive linemen and linebackers look dumb at least twice a game. Yeah, and that's another thing I wanted to touch on with his improvement is there was a lot of erratic play from Josh Allen where he kind of looked like he was always panicked and you know always just running around like crazy. He doesn't do that anymore. It, we saw him tuck and run, I think it was the first drive, when he just recognized that there was a gigantic hole in the middle of the field with no defenders in it, and he took off running because he saw it right away. But now, when you see him kind of scramble around, it's not because he's just panicking and seeing ghosts. It's He's buying time for his receivers to get open and to evade pressure from the defensive line. And that's like a huge leap because... When you can manipulate the pocket like that and extend plays because you have to, not because you just don't know what else to do, that's a big step. Yeah, for sure. And I think the the, the stat that I like to look at, for especially in that, going with that, is Josh Allen's taken four sacks this year, which is about the middle of the pack of the NFL in terms of sacks. Because how many yards he's lost on those four sacks total? I mean... I'm going to say it's yeah. probably like 10, 10 or 15. It can't be on much. On those four sacks. In his first two years in the league, he was losing 8, 10 yards consistently on sacks. And I think he averaged losing like 7 or 8 yards a sack. That in and of itself is a huge, huge improvement. When, he, when there are the negative plays, instead of trying to be a hero and make them even more negative, he's realized, okay, this, is, we're not, this isn't going to work. Let's get as close to the line of scrimmage as possible, take take our cut our losses, and move on to the next play. And I think that in and of itself is just huge because in the Josh Allen of last year, Josh Allen was rookie year, would probably have taken more than four sacks. A and the four sacks he's he would have taken would have been for a heck of a lot more than ten yards because he 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 tried to be the hero all the time, and he's been picking and choosing his spots a lot better so far through two games this year. Yeah, and. You know, the 417 yards on 35 attempts speaks for itself, but that is ridiculously efficient. It's almost 12 yards per attempt, and I believe the stat was in the fourth quarter. He was like 6 of 8 for some ridiculous yardage number and two touchdowns, and it was like 18 yards per attempt. Like, it's a small sample size, but that is how you take over a game and win it. And Nate, you and I are more analytics guys. We don't really like the intangible things, but... I think he just has that it factor. Like, it, 
he knew that his defense couldn't stop anything. He knew the game was on him, and he just went and took it over and won it anyways. Yeah, and, and that's something that, like you said, we don't necessarily like to go there as a first trait of, of players in this league, but the way his teammates talk about him and the way his coaches talk about him, you know there's something there that can't really be measured. And I think that's why, a, a big reason why, even when he struggled his first two years, he always 100% had the locker room, had the coaching staff. And you wouldn't necessarily see that with other young players struggling that much. And he just there's just something about Josh Allen that makes him better than his physical abilities, which are already insane, and his stats. He, he, he is, I don't even know how to describe it, but that's something I think we've seen since his rookie year. Like we didn't like him coming out. We we didn't want the Bills to draft him. We didn't think he was going to be a great pro. But even when we didn't think he was going to be great, we just saw watching him and listening to his teammates talk about him that there was something more there than just a a big athletic dude who didn't really know how to play quarterback, which is really what he was as a rookie. He was a big athletic guy with a strong arm who had no idea how to play quarterback back and he he may after this season change the way that some coaches and general managers look at college quarterbacks i mean very rarely does an elite quarterback come from a big time program where he's surrounded by talent and it's hard to think of you know examples other than deshaun watson who was on that clemson national championship team there's not many elite quarterbacks that come from elite programs and are surrounded by elite talent. It's They kind of make the talent around them be better than they actually are. And I think that's what we're starting to see with Josh Allen. And it, we don't want to go on with Allen or about Allen here for too long, but I think Stefan Diggs helps a lot too because the receiving core was much better last year than it was the year before that. But Diggs has added a whole new element to this offense in you know, Brian Dable kind of looks like a genius as an offensive coordinator now that he has basically three unstoppable weapons in the past. Yeah, game. one thing that Stephon Diggs brings that Josh Allen hasn't exactly had, even with John Brown, who John Brown is clo- is like a, a 1B type receiver. He's, he's a really good receiver in his own right. But Stephon Diggs gives Josh someone who can just kind of throw the ball up there in a contested catch situation, and he's going to go get it. I mean, he made one of those throws against the Dolphins where it was a throw that last year or two years ago he makes that throw it's like what are you doing but he throws it again he throws it against the dolphins to stefan diggs who goes up and makes a play and to have a guy who can go make a play when you make maybe an iffy decision or not the greatest throw and it can bail you out that's huge i mean and most quarterbacks in the league that are are really good quarterbacks have that guy or or had that guy for a lot of their career yeah, and I thought that was a risky throw, or at least a dumb throw at the time during the game. But after seeing replays of it, especially from the All-22 angle, I think that was a pretty good calculated risk there. Because if you watch the route that Stefan Diggs runs, he completely leaves the corner running towards the middle of the field and just turns and stops on a dime and goes back the other direction. Allen drops the ball right in over the top of the other corner that's underneath. And granted, it was pretty close to being an interception, but the touch on the pass to get that to a spot where only Diggs could get it, it was pretty impressive. Yeah, I think that's the last thing I really want to touch on with, with Josh Allen is his ability this year to not throw every ball 1,000 miles an hour and to put touch on 
the deep crossers, the deep balls he's thrown, even the deep outs, which is probably his best route that he throws because of his arm strength. He, he, he might throw other than Mahomes, the best deep out in the league. And he still does not need to throw the ball hundred miles an hour to do any of this. And I think a lot of that, a lot of the credit for that probably goes to Jordan Palmer, who, who, who he works with in the offseason, and then also just the Bills coaching staff to get him to a point where he knows his arm is so strong. He never, he doesn't, I don't want to say never, but he rarely needs to throw the ball as hard as he can. And he's figured that out this year, and it's made a huge difference. Yeah, and while we're uh, here admitting things we were wrong on, not long ago we said Stefan Diggs was going, you know, a little too high in fantasy drafts for our liking. Yeah, I, I got that one wrong, too. I mean, it's only two games in, but the Bills clearly want to be a pass-first offense. They were pretty efficient running the ball. I think they had 5.2 yards per carry with their running backs against the Dolphins, but they just wanted to throw the ball anyway. And if they continue to do that, Stefan Diggs is going to be an elite fantasy yeah, I, option. I, part of the re, our, a lot of our reasoning for why he wasn't going to be an elite fantasy option was not because he's not good or because Josh Allen's not really good. It's We didn't expect the Bills to throw the ball the, the way they're throwing the ball and have four or five wide receiver sets all game the way they're doing this year so far. And if that continues, then yes, Stephon Diggs, if he's going to average 11, 12 targets, eight grabs a game, then yes, he's a number one fantasy receiver. Lock it in the rest of the year. That's just going to be the case. And if the Bills keep throwing it as much as they are, then Cole Beasley and John Brown are even viable fantasy flexes in deep leagues, which we said they probably weren't in our preseason uh, fantasy preview. Yeah, and I Going back and seeing the game, the offensive line played pretty well. There was barely any pressure on Josh Allen, and a lot of credit goes to Allen there as well for buying time when he needed it. But they were pretty effective in the run game when they did decide to run the ball. 5.2 yards per carry is pretty good. It's really efficient running, and you know when you average 12 yards per attempt passing, you don't really need to run the ball. Yeah, and I think that's that kind of split that we saw with the running backs, with each running back getting about 10 touches is probably what we're going to see going forward is a, a fairly even split. They're both good at, at, at different things, and you, you can't throw the ball 45 times a game. It's, that's just not going to happen. So that's, I, I think, Singletary and Moss are both going to have pretty equal roles going forward. And Devin Singletary was the better running back, I thought, just going back and watching. He's more sure of himself, and following you know he doesn't necessarily have to follow a block he'll go create yards for himself that aren't blocked and not you know scripted and following the hole in the play zach moss seems like he doesn't quite trust his instincts yet which is okay because he's a rookie and you know we could see that change by midseason once he adjusts to the pace of play in the nfl that he'll start going and getting yards that aren't blocked for him or if the hole gets clogged that he's supposed to run through he breaks outside or goes somewhere else we see Devin Singletary do those kind of things. Zach Moss just seems a little bit hesitant at this point, and that's okay. We don't expect a guy to come in and be, you know, an elite NFL running back right away. Yeah, I mean, that's when you draft a guy where you drafted Zach Moss, similar to where Singletary got drafted. You don't expect them to be great day one, and the talent's there. They don't have to be. The, the nice thing about the Bills at, for really offense and defense is none of the young guys have to be great because they have great players already. Young guys have to play their role, like Gabriel Davis with the sick touchdown catch, Reggie Gilliam with the touchdown grab. Play the role, 
when you're called upon, do your job, and they don't have to be great. They don't have to force things because the talent is there, the rest of the roster. And that's really the, the huge advantage the Bills have against a lot of other teams that hope to contend this year is the roster is – the talent on this roster is so good and so deep that and, – and the guys know their roles and they know their jobs. And I think that's huge. Yeah, so Nate, anything you want to add on the offense, or shall we touch on the defense and kind of the lackluster performance Let's move over to the defense, and I think to start, we want to make it very clear that, yes, while the defense did not play great and they gave up a ton of yards and a ton of points that they normally wouldn't, they were also missing two of their best players at two of the most important positions on the field. Yeah, and I think that goes to show this defense is – Kind of the quality of it is greater than the sum of its parts. Without Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, like the rest of the defense just is not as good without them, and that's okay. It doesn't mean the other players on the team aren't great. It's just as a unit, they're much better when they have all of their pieces, just like any unit. And Tyrell Dodson played pretty well, much better than I expected, but he's still not Matt Milano or Tremaine Edmonds, and. Hopefully they get them back this week because the Dolphins were really able to exploit things that we really haven't seen done to a Bills defense in a few years. Yeah, I mean, when you when you remove one of the better pass-defending linebackers in the whole game in Matt Milano and you pair it with a very, very underrated tight end in Mike Jasicki, you're going to have issues. Milano is one of the better pass-defending linebackers in the league. And... With the slate of tight ends the Bills are scheduled to face the next few weeks, getting him back will be massive. And then also when you lose the guy that calls the defense, that also hurts quite a bit. And Edmonds does a lot of things really, really well that you just you can't replace that on the field. And the, the defense, they did, they held their own. They did what they had to do. And one that's huge that, that Josh Allen and the offense can score points now because we know now and the Bills know that if the defense is going to have an off day, it doesn't mean you can't win a game. Because in the past, if the defense had an off day, the chances of winning the game pretty slim. Yeah, the Bills' offense is averaging 29 points per game right now. And we haven't seen that in a really long time. But I do want to touch on Levi Wallace because Ryan Fitzpatrick, once he figured that out, he just repeatedly went after him. And there was nothing Levi Wallace could do about it. He didn't make a play to you know stop them from coming at him obviously you're going to try to avoid Tredavious White I mean he's one of the best corners in the NFL and even he got beat by Mike just Mike Jasicki in this game for the touchdown and that's just because Mike Jasicki's a good player he's really athletic but the Bills do have a problem at cornerback too long term I think uh, Josh Norman when he comes back I think will be an upgrade from Levi Wallace but I think they have to find a long-term option there, either in the draft or through free agency next year, because it that's going to be a problem if other quarterbacks go and watch that tape and see, okay, we can just target this guy relentlessly. So I'm going to slightly disagree with you. I, after watching the film, I don't think Levi Wallace was horrible in that game. I don't think that like he, he wasn't good. But I don't think he was horrible. Ryan Fitzpatrick made some absolutely insane throws in that game. Like, absolutely insane, number one. 
that it was like one of those games that Fitz usually wins. Like we we know Ryan Fitzpatrick played here for a few years. We know like Fitz just has these games where he's just on fire, and he usually doesn't lose those games. And he lost one of those on Sunday. And I I don't think Wallace played as bad as the broadcast might have shown. Now, not I'm not saying he played well either, but I think that we probably are being a little bit harsh on him if we say he was awful. But at the same time, I, I do agree that Josh Norman coming back should be a huge upgrade, if nothing else but the fact that he has a ton of familiarity in this defense, and he's very good at playing the style of defense the Bills want to play. Yeah, and I probably was a bit harsh with Levi Wallace there. He, he's definitely an above-replacement-level player, and that's fine you know, in the short term, but long term, probably not the answer. But with Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds out there, I think that really kind of left a bit of a hole in the middle of the field where that's kind of where Fitz made a lot of those completions. It was just on in-breaking routes against Levi Wallace. And a lot of that probably has to do with Matt Milano is not next to him in those situations. And that certainly yeah, makes with a difference. Yeah, the team that plays as much zone as the Bills play, it can be tough sometimes to assign blame to a specific defender on a specific pass play because it's hard to know exactly what the role was for each player on a, on a play and having Milano and even Edmonds who's so long and has so much range in the middle of the field where you know you have all this help and then you don't you're not you don't get the same help when they're out it, it's definitely tough uh, but he still I mean he still needs to be better and the Bills need to improve the the defending in the middle of the field given that they're going to face really four elite tight ends in the next four games. Yeah, and luckily for them, I don't think Jared Goff is a very good quarterback. He has an excellent head coach that knows how to hide his deficiencies. And you bet Sean McVay is going to go and watch that tape and figure out how he can attack this Bills defense. Hopefully it'll be with at least Tremaine Edmonds. I don't know if we're going to see Milano this week. He didn't even log a limited practice at the end of last week, so that doesn't give me a whole lot of hope with a hamstring injury. Typically, you want to see you know several full practices in a row before they get out there in a game situation so you don't risk re-injury. But like you said, Nate, without Matt Milano against those tight ends, you kind of have to use Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer more to not necessarily shadow those guys but help defend them. It's not ideal because it can open up other areas of the defense. Yeah, and, that, it, and it puts a strain on everything else the Bills want to do. Now, the fact that Milano and Edmonds didn't go on IR means that the Bills expect them back at least by week four. And I, I, I agree with, with what you just said, Alex, that it's, I think it's likely that Edmonds plays this weekend. I think it's less likely that Milano plays. But we'll have to see practice reports uh, during the week before we know that for sure. It's but the, the hamstring injury, is that's a tough one to come back from too quickly because if you do come back from it too quickly, chance of getting re-injured is high. And if you re-injure it, you're going to be out for a long time. And that sounds like that's what happened with Josh Norman. He was working his way back and then had a setback and ended up on IR. So you really can't have that with Matt Milano because we saw what happened without him in the game. Yeah, and I, so I, I think... All in all, we don't want to put too much stock into the way the defense played this week because when you're missing two of your best players and two guys who the two guys who patrol the middle of the field for you, that's not easily replaceable. 
and if they're out long term, it becomes an issue. But I don't think we want to worry about it until we know for sure what the extent of the the time that those guys are going to miss are. Yeah. So another thing I want to touch on real quickly before we delve into just another ancillary topic, Tyler Bass came out and made all of his kicks this game. So I think that gives a lot of confidence in him, or at least more confidence than we had after week one. But that was good to see that, you know, we don't have an immediate problem. Yeah. I mean, he, he's gonna, because of the style and the way he kicks, he's going to push balls right a lot. And if he can just correct that not 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 correct the fact that he pushes balls right but just correct the way he lines up correct the way he aims i think it's going to be he's going to be fine long term it's just the way he kicks the ball it's there's everyone has their own style and his style the ball is going to move right or it's going to push right just because of the way he kicks and because of how hard he kicks the ball there's nothing wrong with that just got to adjust and i think he'll he'll get there as he he grows as an nfl player i think just the extra adrenaline from kicking in games he pushed the ball right more than he does in practice and he hasn't quite figured out the happy medium yet but he'll get there i mean his leg is insane he's he's going to be i think he's going to be perfectly fine yeah so nate anything else you want to add on the bills before you get into your analytics i think i'm good on the bills uh the the last thing i want to touch on is something that happened in the cowboys falcons game um where the cowboys scored late in the game i think there was about Four, four or five minutes left. They're down by nine points when they score. They go for two and they, they miss. And there are a lot of people, whether it's casual fans, whether it's pundits, like pro football talk was all over this with uh, Florio and Chris Sims, like saying, what are they doing? They're so stupid. Why did they go Why did they go for two when they were down nine? Make it, Just make it a one-possession game. And I want to just be very clear for our listeners about why going for two was correct in that situation. And I, I, I do understand that it can be kind of confusing, but the easiest way to think about it is this. If you go for, you have to go for two eventually, no matter what. And if you don't get the two point conversion, you're going to need the ball again, a third time, whether or not you go for two point conversion with five minutes left or whether you do it with 45 seconds left. And Knowing if you need the ball a third time with five minutes left, so you know you what you need to do to get the ball back and play fast to get it back a third time, is it's much easier to do that when you know it with five minutes left than when you find out with 45 seconds left, oh shit, we have to get the ball two more times. Probably not going to happen at that point. And that's that's the, the, the general idea behind why you go for too early. You want more information sooner so you know what to do the rest of the game rather than waiting. Because if you have to go for two with 45 seconds left, down eight, and you miss, the game's over at that point. There's nothing you can really do about it. Exactly. And that is a tough thing to understand just for the human brain from that aspect of understanding probabilities and analytics and those things. But you can't just base it on the result. I think that's all problem people have because we've been conditioned you know by football media for all these years before analytics has really taken hold to base things on the result oh well did it work we saw sean mcdermott do that in the playoff or not the playoff game the snow game against the colts where he punted on the opposing 40 on fourth and one where you had to win or face elimination from the playoffs and he said well it worked 
We've never seen that again from Sean McDermott because he figured out how math works. And it's important to understand the information going into the decision rather than what results from the decision. Yeah, in a sport like football and the NFL where you only play 16 games in a season, it's so easy to focus on what worked and what didn't work when that's not the point. The whether If it works one time, it does not mean it's more likely to work the next time. It does not mean it's less likely to work the next time. You have the same likelihood of it working every time you make that decision. So making the decision with the highest likelihood of success over the long run is smarter. You know, yes, maybe one time you make a decision that is the right decision by the numbers and it doesn't work and you miss the playoffs one year and the coach looks like an idiot and gets fired for it. That's a dumb owner or a dumb general manager, not a dumb coach. You have to think about things over the long term, which is hard to do in a sport like football. It's very hard to do. But if you want to optimize your chances of success, you you make the decision with the highest probability of success, not the decision that is seems like it's right or is the easiest decision. Exactly. So, Nate, anything else you want to add before you know we wrap and come back later in the week with a preview of a 2-0 versus 2-0 matchup when the Bills host the Rams? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the next four weeks for the Bills. The Bills are playing teams in the next four weeks that are combined 8-0 right now, which is a tough stretch of football games for this team. And this will be this these four games will show you what the Bills are. I mean, I think it's really that simple. And I I don't think we and you want to strive to go two and two in these four games. But I think if, if we get out of Kansas city, the Kansas city game and the bills are four and two, be pretty happy with that. I think this is, but this is going to teach you about this team. Bills are competitive for the next four weeks. This team is legit. They aren't, they they're still good. They're still probably a playoff team, but they got some work to do. I think that's really what we're going to find out. Yeah. I think that sums that up nicely. So that'll bring us to an end of this episode of the bills breakdown podcast. I'm your co-host Alex Pollinger. And I am Nate Schreiber. Subscribe, download, give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find the show. Follow us on Twitter at Bills underscore Breakdown. Send us any questions, comments, feedback to Bills Breakdown Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.